The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
or America. Why will you die? Why will you die? We're on lockdown. Businesses are crashing. People don't know how they're going to pay their mortgage, how they're going to pay their rent. People are dying. America is shut down. A place where if a man or woman goes to church, they'll be arrested. You can go to the liquor store and buy. It's essential. But church isn't essential in America. You can go to Walmart and cram people in. But you can't go to church. We live in a nation that's turned upside down. It's going crazy. It's interesting to me that during the rule of one president, a progressive, we had the Spanish flu. Woodrow Wilson. He never mentioned it. There were other things that were considered more important, like winning World War I. Yes, people died, but America didn't die. I'm not saying what we should do for our government, but I am saying that God's judgment is now heavy upon America. And it doesn't appear that we're going to come out of this anytime soon. It could be several more months. And after all of the close downs are lifted, I can tell you now, people are not going to rush out to the restaurant. Fear has been installed in the hearts of American people through an overblown and wicked media that has another agenda. So I come today asking the question, America, oh, America, why would you die? You've turned your heart away from the living God of heaven. The Lord writes through Ezekiel the prophet, Our offenses and our sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? I was up much in the night last night 
praying for America, praying for you. I finally, after daybreak, went back and laid down and slept for another hour. And then I got up, but I could barely get up. My heart was so heavy before God. My heart was so heavy. I felt crushed. I feel today the heaviness. It's like I'm having a hard time moving. We're in a hard place. How do we recover from this? The Lord says through Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? And I've just been hearing, Oh, America, why will you die? Turn from your evil ways. Turn. See, every man, every woman goes where his love or her love carries them. If the world has your love, you will spend your life for the world. If Jesus has your love, you will go where he carries you. If you claim to love Jesus, but your love is not sincere, you will end up at a prison door, cast into outer darkness. Sin is not something casual. The law is chasing America and has put a clamp on it. And we now face the reality of a nation basically bankrupt. The COVID-19 was simply the pin used to pop the debt bubble. So what do we do? Or you might ask, Pastor, why this harshness? It's not meant as harshness. It's meant rather to address honestly our condition. You know, I'm I'm just really tired of the wickedness of this world. 
seeing people that I love consumed by the darkness, talking with people who are so full of themselves and their cynicism and their anger and their fear that they do not turn and receive peace from Jesus. So I want to go down there. I want to talk specifically about what sin I'm dealing with. I'm not going to be general about sin. Sin is of the serpent, of the lion that comes to devour and swallow you. Sin has a name. It separates us from God. It causes our spirit to feel down and guilty until we become so hardened that we don't even care anymore. I trust that any of you who are listening to this broadcast care deeply. So let's identify what are the sins that I'm talking about that will cause America to be utterly destroyed. Of course, there is the corporate sin and there is the individual sin. And God's judgment comes on both. The corporate sin, which is also individuals participating, the greatest one in America today is abortion, the murdering of babies. It grieves God's heart. It makes him so angry. Another sin is corporate corruption, unjust courts. We have a a legal system in America, but we don't have a just system in America. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. They've set the financial system up so that the banks win and the rich win and the poor lose. These are sins that God is angry about. The foreign wars, the murder of innocents, But then there are these which are very personal. This is Galatians 5, verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Fornication. Pornography. Impurity. Dirty jokes. Conversations that are not holy. Debauchery. Even taking something good to far excess. Idolatry. Which is putting something ahead of God. Money. Pleasure. Lifestyle. Idolatry is anything that I put of greater value upon than I do upon my Lord Jesus. Witchcraft, 
Witchcraft is rising in America at an alarming rate. Harry Potter with Rowling. They did their part to introduce a whole another generation to the evil of witchcraft. Even the churches are involved in witchcraft. Positive affirmations. You want that car, get a picture of it, put it up on your refrigerator and say every day, that car is mine, that car is mine, thinking that your words (laughs) create your reality. Thinking that I can force the spirit realm to produce in the physical realm what I demand by incantations and positive affirmations. That's straight-up witchcraft. And witchcraft has moved into the church. Much of the green agenda is driven by the worship of Gaia, Mother Nature. Even the Pope worships Gaia. Discord, arguments, fighting, bitterness, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul again, over in the book of Colossians, the third chapter, he begins to again speak very specifically. He says, Colossians 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly sexual, to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Pardon me. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. These are the very specific sins that will cause America to be destroyed. These were the sins that caused God to finally say to the children of Israel, 
go in and clean out Cana land. They are beyond hope. This has happened periodically through time. God destroyed Rome because of this. He destroyed Babylon because of these kinds of sins. We have to consider very carefully. I want to look at chapter 7 in the book of Romans because for many of you who consider yourself to be Christians, you describe this as your current living experience. I don't believe it. This is not what Jesus came and died for. Paul writes, and he's writing, and it's called in the Greek, the analytic present, meaning he's speaking about the past in present terms. He says, did that which is good then, in verse 13, Romans 7, verse 13, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. Let me read that again slowly for you. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, that is, through the law, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. So we have the law, and it comes to me to inform me on how to live a righteous life. But when the law came, it found that I was in utter sin. And my sin only increased because the law was there, telling me what I should and shouldn't do. And I finally said, look, I'm just, I'm going to do what I have to do. And I hear some today who call themselves Christians saying, I can't help it. I'm a sinner. And then dishonest pastors come along and they say, oh, you're saved by grace. Grace is a blanket that covers your sin. It doesn't remove it. So you still walk in sin, but you're saved. And they have utterly twisted the scriptures to their own destruction and to your destruction if you believe them. I mean, why should why should God's wrath be poured out on America when there are so many Christians in America? Well, because those Christians are primarily in name, not in actions, not in reality. And Romans 7 is the hotbed of where Christians go to justify this behavior. So we need to look very closely at Romans 7 and ask the question, is this really telling me that 
the Apostle Paul walked in sin, could not overcome the sin, and finally said, look, I just do the best I can do and I'm covered by grace. Is that what Romans 7 actually says? Let's look at it. Now, please, I hope that you're hearing today the plea of my heart that you turn from your lifestyle and from any Romans 7 behavior, any wickedness, I hope and pray for you that you will finally recognize that the sinful mind is hostile to God. That the sinful mind is hostile to God. And it will take you to hell. Verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? Oh, by no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, I've just listed what Paul will give us. This is Paul writing in Romans, the seventh chapter, and I've given to you the listings in Colossians and Galatians of what he considers to be sin in his understanding of what Jesus taught. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Was that Paul's condition? Was that his testimony? Absolutely no. To take these words out of context will destroy your walk with Jesus. He is saying as an As a Jewish man, a Pharisee, I found out I'm unspiritual. That's like a person who calls himself a Christian today suddenly comes face to face with the reality of who Jesus Christ was and who he is today. And they say, woe is me, I'm unclean. I'm unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. Genesis 3.15, where a promise is made that we will not be totally captive to the devil, but instead there will be a small opening for us by which we can enter into the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus. So Paul is saying, look, I'm discovering that I'm unspiritual when he was very, very religious. He's finding that he is sold as a slave to sin. Not on the outward side. Paul did not sin in the outward world. He walked righteous. But he's saying in his inner being, in his imaginations, in his mind, in his affections, he's saying, I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. 
And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. In other words, my behavior does not judge right or wrong. I am not the one who determines whether my behavior is right or is wrong. It's Jesus who decides that. It's the law that decides that. We are we are serving a God who is a king. We have a ruler. There is a ruler over you and over me. Now, we may never have seen him. Many have lived in kingdoms and never seen their king. He was among us. He laid down the rules for his kingdom. He has his church. He has a people to rule. He has this ruler, this King Jesus. He has a law. And he has a spirit. There is a place where he rules. And he will take his rightful place over that kingdom when he comes in glory. I don't want you to mistake the reality that you are not on your own. You were bought at a price. You are owned. Now, Paul continues... I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. He's saying, nothing good lives in me, but let me, let me qualify that. Because something good does live in him, Jesus Christ. But he's saying, in his sinful nature, nothing good dwells in him. I can't claim anything for myself. For I have the desire to do what is good but I cannot carry it out. That's a person who is not saved. A person who is brought into the kingdom of God no longer has to walk in sin. We can choose to not walk in the way of darkness. That's a choice we have to make. He says, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. In other words, I keep going back and committing the same sin time after time after time. And there are those today who want to say, it's okay, you're saved. Because you said you love Jesus. Wrong. What are you saved from? And what are you saved to? If you are saved to Jesus, he gives you freedom and you no longer have to walk in sin and rebellion and darkness. 
He goes on. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. So Paul is saying, look, I can't save myself. I can't change. I'm bound. I'm in chains. The addiction of sin has me, and I am bound tight, and I can't break free. I know what I should be doing. I know what I want to do, but I can't do it. It's impossible for me. And then he says, What a wretched or what a miserable man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Look, there has to be an answer. There has to be a way out of this darkness. There has to be a way that I can be free. If I'm going to simply trust in positive thinking, I'm going to lose. If I have to trust in forcing myself to somehow adhere to a set of rules of a kingdom, I'm not going to be able to do that. I am, by nature, filled with rebellion and independence and the desire to choose my own way. I am, by my very nature, going to go for that which is of darkness, for the music of the world, for the dance of the world, by my very nature I am going to be eager to take advantage of and find a way to progress in my own agenda out of my own inner spirit that I'm responsible for I will reach out and try to grab the very thing I want as it's going by I'm going to want to grab it one one Christian said, I was very chagrined by it. I go into the Holy of Holies and there's a table there and I see something on that table that I want. I reach up and I grab it and I run. No, that person was not in the Holy of Holies. That person was in the realm of darkness. You don't grab and growl with God. America's in trouble. We're in lockdown. We're in timeout. We've been given time to reconsider our behavior, our lifestyles. And how's it going? What have you learned about your inner heart during this lockdown? Have you found your heart to be pure and clean? Have you found an increasing hunger to be in the presence of Jesus? What is it that your heart loves? 
I was praying this morning and I had to ask myself that question very honestly. My heart can be very deceitful, hiding things from me. And so I had to look very carefully at what have I been doing with my time? What have I been focused on? What is it that my heart really wants? If no one's looking, and no one will know, what does my heart really want? I had to recognize that Oh my, I want some comfort. I want some success in some very specific areas. There are things that I want that I'm tired of carrying the burden for that I need I've had to go back and say, Lord, this is what my heart has been hungry for. And I repent. Because above all those things, what I want is you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I want fellowship with you. I'm really tired and heartbroken that Jesus has not come yet. And yet I know that in his mercy he is extending his time of coming because he would will that all would repent and that none would be lost. That's what Peter says. I know it to be true. So I found myself having to pray, Lord, thy will be done, not mine. In every one of these areas, I've had to say, Lord, thy will be done, not mine. I submit to you, Jesus. I submit to you, Jesus. I submit to the lockdown. I submit to the to the crisis. And now my eyes are upon you, Jesus. And I know you will deliver. So the Apostle Paul in the seventh chapter talks about the natural man, the man of sin. And he's very clear. He says, So I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin, 
what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then comes this beautiful refrain in the verse 25, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then chapter 7 runs right into chapter 8. There's no chapter headings that Paul wrote. Someone else added those many years later. He writes, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there's now no condemnation for those who are in sin. No, if you're in sin, there is condemnation for you. There is judgment and the law will execute you. And you have to flee from the law and you have to watch out for the serpent because that sin will kill you. The wages of sin, death. And then he says, if you're in Jesus, through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The law comes and it executes. It puts people to death. Oh, maybe not physical death, but it will put you to death. He's saying, there is a spirit of life that set me free from that spirit of death, from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Remember I told you, the law put Jesus to death on the cross. He was not murdered, he was martyred. He offered himself as a living sacrifice to be put to death by the law. And he carried our sin. So he condemned sin in sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. It'll be that which you love. The things I identified as sin. The entertainment of the day. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. Why? because the law comes and puts a man to death. And finally, the law will come and put you to death physically. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Now please, what am I saying? Well, let me read it. You've heard it so many times, but I want to read it. 
if while, if while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, that is, we're doing the best we can do, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. In other words, I have free choice. When I come to Jesus, he gives me the ability to choose my behavior. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness or rightness or innocence could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now let me, in the closing minutes of this broadcast, do a real quick conclusion. When the Bible speaks about dying to sin, it is literally speaking about submitting to Jesus Christ. It is giving up my way and my will, and it is saying, I choose you, Jesus. And as I choose Jesus, as I submit to him, the Spirit of God comes and a supernatural miracle occurs in my life. And I am born from above. As I confess honestly my sin, we have to be honest with God. As I confess my real sin, as I repent of it, how do I repent of it? I turn from it. What does that mean? It means I am submitting to what God says. I am getting a new heart. I am choosing to live a new way. And I tell you what, we as Americans have got to stop now in this lockdown and say, what have I done that has brought God's wrath on this nation? Each of us personally must do this. And say, now, what would God have me do? What would he have me do? What is the purpose for my life? My purpose is to serve and submit to Jesus Christ. That is my only purpose. My purpose is to serve Jesus Christ. That means to submit to him and then to obey him. You see, my purpose in life is not to make money. My purpose in life is not to be successful. My purpose in life is not to have people say he was a wonderful man. My purpose in life is to submit entirely everything to Jesus Christ and to not turn to the left or to the right. What I'm saying is radical. I don't mean say it and then go your way. I mean stop. 
Examine everything you're doing and say, am I doing this in the name of Jesus and in submission to Jesus? Am I reading this? Am I looking at this in submission to Jesus Christ? Is this his will for me? Am I thinking about that which is good, that which is wholesome, that which is of good report? Am I thinking and looking at the things of God? Am I producing the fruit of the Spirit? What is my life like before Jesus? I have to examine and see if there's any wickedness in my heart by looking at Jesus. He's calling me. He's calling you. He's calling America. I am pleading for America. I'm pleading for you. We must have the full victory. We must have the full indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Mighty God of heaven, Jesus, my Lord, my Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. O Lord, we want your will to be done, and we want to survive and live by what you give us. Thank you, Lord. We repent of our own way and our own will, and we turn to you, Jesus, to surrender to you. Lord, teach us how to walk as Christians. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your name. Amen. I rejoice in telling you that more than enough money was given to pay for the March radio broadcast. You remember we were 500 short. Well, that 500 was given at the call of God, and more than that was given. I'm praying that you will step forward. It's taken basically everything that was given to this point to pay for March. I'm praying that you will step in now and help support Pilgrim's Progress. Would you write to me? You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. This is, this is a faith time. Many of you have sent gifts, but they've been smaller. I'm so grateful that you still sent what you could. I know that if each one of us will do what we can do, the Lord will more than cover this radio broadcast. He is carrying it, and he will continue to carry it, and I stand by faith that God is moving in your heart. I know what we're talking about is not easy. The law, sin, righteousness, judgment, The Lord's going to carry us through. And I know without any doubt 
that the Lord is able. And I know that as you cry out to God, if you're not working, cry out to the Lord. If you are working and you have extra, considering what you would have if you were not working, if you can cover your basics, help someone else. Help a family member, help a a neighbor, help a friend. Help someone in the church. Call your pastor and ask, do you know of anyone who needs help? Reach out, be be a Christian. This is not an easy time. But the Lord will carry us through this. And I'm asking God if he would encourage our hearts. If he would give us strength. And oh, my brother and sister, would you join me in fasting and praying for America? Thank you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I'll talk to you. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory With great joy Christ alone.